0: In our series through the Minor Prophets this morning, we jump ahead to the book of Haggai. I decided to jump over Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah and to return to those books later in the new year, Lord willing, because I judged it more appropriate to consider these last three books of the Old Testament as part of our Advent season and our celebration of the coming of and the birth of Jesus Christ on Christmas. So in the next three Sundays, Lord willing, or leading up to Christmas, we will consider Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Let's read Haggai chapter 2 this morning. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, and he refers by that to the reign of King Darius of Persia, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Jozadak the high priest and to the residue of the people saying Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory and how do ye see it now Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing Yet now be strong O Zerubbabel saith the Lord and be strong, O Joshua, son of Jazadak, the high priest. And be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turned not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward From the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day, will I bless you. And again the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the nations of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, The son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. We read God's word that far this morning, and I call your attention especially to verses 6 and 7. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land, and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Haggai was a prophet of the Lord who was probably born in Babylon in the captivity, but he was able to return with tens of thousands of other Jews through the leadership of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who was in the line, the royal line of David, and Josadak, or rather Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest. He was able to return with them from Babylon back to Judah and to the city of Jerusalem because the emperor of Persia, Cyrus the Great, issued a decree that the Jews may return home and build again the temple of their God. So Haggai was among the returned captives in Jerusalem. He stood up in the midst of the returned captives And he confronted them with their sin at one time. He confronted them with the fact that they had become slothful and lazy in the great project of rebuilding the temple. And they had begun to prioritize the rebuilding of their own houses and the comfort of their own homes. You can find that in chapter 1 of Haggai. Haggai confronted them, but before that they had begun well. When they first came back to Jerusalem, under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua, they had begun to rebuild the temple. And by the way, that whole project of rebuilding the temple that was laying in ruins is symbolic of the rebuilding and reforming of the church when it has gone astray, when it has fallen, which happens again and again throughout the New Testament. It's a picture of that great work of restoring right doctrine and right worship in the church which is always necessary in the church throughout the New Testament they had begun well they had laid the foundation of the new temple but when enemies started to trouble them and frustrate their plans they became discouraged and they decided to stop building And as time went by, they began to focus less on building God's temple and more on building their own houses. They became comfortable with not having opposition, not having hostility of enemies to deal with anymore. And that continued for many years. Throughout the rest of the reign of Cyrus, throughout the reign of Cambyses, and into the reign of King Darius of Persia, the temple left there unfinished and still in ruins. So Haggai was raised up together with Zechariah to prophesy to them, to awaken them from their spiritual slumber and urge them to continue and finish the work of rebuilding the temple of the Lord. And we find that whole history in the book of Ezra. When Haggai exhorted them and rebuked them through the leadership of Zerubbabel, They obeyed the voice of the Lord. And in the second year of Darius the king, they began the work of building the temple again. And they continued without stopping until it was finished. Haggai spoke the words of our text in chapter 2 about a month after they had restarted the building project. As they began to build again, some of the old saints remembered what the first temple had looked like. They remembered the Temple of Solomon, a magnificent, opulent, glorious temple. And as they looked at this new temple that was being built up, it seemed in their eyes to be as nothing in comparison. So there was a sense of futility that was uh, setting in. A sense of fear that this whole project was pointless. That it wasn't worth the effort of all the opposition of our enemies. And they wept. So Haggai had to encourage them. And that's what he's doing in verses 4 and 5. When he says, Be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear not. And that leads right into our text. Verses 6 and 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory. That was a prophecy of encouragement and hope to the weary, discouraged temple builders that God was about to do something in just a little while that would be so marvelous that it would involve the shaking of the whole world and the filling of that temple with glory. Consider Jehovah's promise to shake the heavens and earth in a little while. First of all, the Lord's shaking of the whole universe. Secondly, the coming of the desire of all nations. And finally, the filling of God's house with glory. Fear not, Haggai says to the temple builders, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once more it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Notice that Haggai says, Yet once, or yet once more. When the Lord says that, he indicates that he has shaken the world in the past. He has shaken the earth a previous time. And he's referring, according to verse 5, to the time when Israel came out of Egypt. When he shook the sea, and they passed through the midst of it on dry ground. When he shook the heavens, and the manna fell to the earth. When he shook Mount Sinai, so that the whole mountain was quaking and shaking and burning, and there was a cloud and darkness and the sound of the trumpet. And the Lord there at Mount Sinai spoke the words of his law to Israel, his covenant. We read of that all in Exodus chapter 19. There at Mount Sinai, God shook the ground under their feet when his voice spoke the law to them. But from that day forward, the children of Israel refused to obey that law. They refused to listen to the voice of him who shook the ground. They decided rather to transgress that law and go their own way, to do their own thing, to do what was right in their own eyes. They walked in the paths of sin, and therefore they did not escape the judgment of God. But at last they were carried away into captivity in Babylon, And there they sat and wept, banished from Jerusalem, the temple lying in ruins. Jerusalem burned to the ground. But now God has taken them back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem. Not all of them, but more than 40,000 of them returned. And now they are there in Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the city, rebuilding their lives, restoring the worship of God. And now God assures them, as they're working, laboring, just as I spoke those words of my law and covenant when you came out of Egypt, verse 5, so today my spirit remains among you. Don't be afraid. For thus saith the Lord yet once more, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. It is just a little while, and I will shake the whole universe. Now that must have been a soul-stirring and hope-inspiring prophecy for those weary, discouraged, fearful temple builders in the midst of a sea of nations that were hostile against them and that wanted Nothing to be built up in Jerusalem. To hear that the Lord of hosts in just a little while will shake the whole universe for us. The Lord of hosts is the name of their God. And Haggai refers to him as that throughout the book. The Lord of hosts says this He is the Lord of all the hosts of heaven above the Lord who is sovereign over the angels and the demons and all of the stars and the hosts of the heaven above. He is the Lord of the hosts of the earth beneath, the beasts of the field, the armies, the nations of men. He is the Lord of the hosts in the seas and the oceans and the depths. He is the Lord who is sovereign by his providence over all the hosts and the armies throughout the universe. And he is The Lord of hosts. That name Lord is literally Jehovah. And we know that to be the name of the covenant. Revealing that he is faithful to his people. He will not change toward his people. He's a God of steadfast love. And unchanging faithfulness. And mercy toward his beloved people. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, it is a little while, and I will shake the whole universe for you. I will shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land. I will do something so marvelous, so wonderful, so amazing that it will involve the shaking of the entire universe. That's what I will do to bring about your salvation, to bring about your restoration. The building up of this temple, the building up of this city, the restoration of your land, your life, your worship, your relationship with me. I will shake the whole universe to accomplish that. So the Lord is saying to his people here, my beloved people, be patient. Be patient. It is just in a little while that I will do this. I know it seems to you that it's taking a long, long time. You were in Babylon for 70 years. You've finally come back and now it's been many years and you've been struggling and toiling to build this temple and build this city and it's not done yet and it looks like this daunting task that will never be finished but yet it is a little while and I will shake the world for you My beloved, I know it seems like it's a day of small things, that this temple looks so small and almost as nothing in comparison to the great temple of Solomon. But don't be discouraged. In just a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens, earth, and the sea to restore this temple, to establish a new covenant with you. I know it seems like the enemies all around you are great and mighty and the opposition is overwhelming, but be patient. Wait on the Lord in just a little while. I will do everything that needs to be done for your salvation. I will shake not the earth only, but also the heavens. I will not only shake the earth as I did at Mount Sinai when that mountain was shaking and quaking and I spoke my law to you, but I will also shake the earth throughout the whole of the world. I will shake the dry land. There will be great earthquakes that will shred the rocks beneath your feet, that will topple the mountains that tower over your heads, that will plow up the foundations of the earth and overturn the depths. Of the rocks and the earth. I will shake the seas with mighty hurricanes and tsunamis that will pour water out over the land. I will turn the oceans upside down. I will shake the heavens above so that the very powers of the heavens will be loosed from their places. The sun will become dark, the moon will become black, and the stars will fall from heaven. I will shake The whole universe. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I will do nothing less than shake loose all of the great realms of the universe that I created in the beginning. The heavens, the earth, the sea. And I will push them all aside. I will remove them out of their place. That old creation that is groaning and travailing and pain together until now, that old creation that has come under the curse because of the fall of man into sin in the Garden of Eden, that old creation with all of its turmoil and catastrophes, I'm going to turn it all upside down, shake it loose, remove it out of its place. And why am I going to do that? Because, as I have said in the other prophets, I'm going to remove the old to make way for the new. I'm going to bring to pass a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth, a new covenant, a new kingdom, a new temple. And I'm going to do that through the Messiah, whom I'm going to send into this world for your salvation. What? A prophecy of encouragement to those weary temple builders. Be patient, my people. It's only in a little while and I will do all of these things. That's an encouragement to us, too, because we're still engaged in that same essential work of building up the temple of the Lord and rebuilding the temple when it's in ruins. That's the work of the church, the work of preaching the gospel. The work of catechizing the children and the youth. The work of of Bible study and fellowship. The work of evangelizing the world around us. The work of raising a Christian family and building a Christian marriage. And it's the work of rebuilding those things when they crumble, when they fall into ruins, when things are going awry. That's hard work. That's difficult work. Sometimes it seems to us it will take a long time to rebuild this church, this denomination, this marriage, this family. And our enemies, the devil and his hosts, they're attacking us, they're assaulting us. How will we ever be able to do it? And it's such a day of small things, we sometimes think. We're just a small congregation, a small denomination. We're just a little remnant of people in the midst of the sea of of wicked heathen nations. What does it all amount to? And the Lord says, be patient. In a little while, yet once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Remember that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day what seems like a long time to us is only a short time to the Lord yet it is a little while he says and I will do all these things for your salvation he goes on I will shake all nations he says and the desire of all nations shall come God brought the nations into existence at the Tower of Babel. Before the Tower of Babel, there weren't any nations. There was only the human race that was flowing in this stream. But then at, Na- at Babel, God confused the languages and divided the peoples so that they had to spread out throughout the world, and the nations popped up of different cultures, different languages, different religions. By the time of the prophet Haggai, the world was filled with nations. Each one of them had their own land, their own government, their own culture, their own religion, their own philosophies. There was Egypt, there was Babylon, there was Assyria, there was Persia, and the great nations farther east and farther west and farther south. The world was full of nations, and God said, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake all nations. I will shake them loose. I will shake them to their foundations. I will shake loose the stranglehold that Satan has in the heathen world. I will shake loose the powers of sin and darkness that keep the heathen trapped in the slavery to lies, to philosophies, to superstitions, to fearful and manipulative teachings to stubborn and, and prideful allegiances to gods and kings and peoples and cultures. I'm going to shake that all loose. I'm going to shake loose the arrogant pride and raging of the nations against Jehovah and his Christ and his people. I'm going to shake it all loose. And when I shake loose those nations, I'm going to remove them out of their place. so that they are no more. But I'm going to gather my elect out of those nations so that they flow into the kingdom of God, they flow into Mount Zion. And when I've gathered out of all the nations my people, I'm going to remove those nations and utterly destroy them and they will be no more. It's like what Daniel interpreted of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, of course, was now a person of the past in the time of Haggai. And perhaps Haggai was even familiar with the prophecies of Daniel and the dream of Nebuchadnezzar when he saw that great image, the head of gold, and the shoulders of silver, and the brass, and the iron, and the clay mixed with iron, And that represented all these mighty nations of the world. But then Nebuchadnezzar saw this great stone that was not cut with hands, rolls down and smashes that image into pieces. And then the stone grows into this great mountain. And Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, God is showing you what will happen in the latter days. He's going to destroy the kingdoms of this world. And he's going to establish his own kingdom that will never end. That's what Haggai is talking about here. That's what the Lord is talking about. I'm going to shake these nations and kingdoms and move them out of the way to make way for my kingdom that will never end. And God says, when I shake the nations... The desire of all nations will come. Who is or what is the desire of all nations? Other versions of the Bible translate the Hebrew word here, treasures. The treasures of all nations. So that the Lord would then be saying that, The treasures of the nations, for example, their silver and their gold, their precious things, their valuables, their desirables, they will flow into the temple, into Jerusalem. That's the meaning of the text. For example, the English Standard Version translate the word treasures. The treasures of all nations shall come in. And that's not really a literal translation of the Hebrew word, but it's really more of an interpretation of that word because the word means literally desire or something desired or desirable. Well, treasures like silver and gold certainly are desired by the people of the nations. That may be one possible interpretation of the passage. That the nations will carry their treasures into the city of God. We need to think only of the wise men who came from the east carrying their gold, frankincense and myrrh, their treasures. And they brought them to Jerusalem. Then they brought them to Bethlehem. And they came into the house and when they saw the baby Jesus there, they fell down on their knees and they worshipped him and they gave him their treasures. And we do that every Sunday. When we bring our gold and frankincense and myrrh into the church on the Lord's Day and we bring our offerings and give them to the Lord, we're bringing our treasures and giving them to the Lord as an act of worship. That's all true. The King James Version, as well as the New King James, maintain what I would call the literal translation of the Hebrew word the desire of all nations shall come. The New King James says that the nations are the ones who are going to come to the desire of all nations. I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. The New King James. The King James that we use, the Old King James says, I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. Now, there is difficulty in deciding the exactly correct translation. I struggled with that this past week. Didn't really come to a firm conclusion. Wish I had. But whatever translation we take, the essential meaning of the passage doesn't really change. After all, when the Lord shakes the nations, when the Lord breaks the stranglehold of Satan over the heathen world, when he shakes loose the powers of sin, the lies, the philosophies of man, the heathen nations, when he topples over the idol gods in the nations, whom will the nations desire? But Christ. Upon whom will be their desire? But the Messiah who will come. The Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed who is going to come. The Lord is going to shake the nations and break the stranglehold of Satan so that the nations would desire Christ. Not to leave this empty vacuum this religious void in the world, but by toppling the heathen religions to lead the nations to Christ so that they would long for Christ, yearn for Christ, love Christ, and flow to him. The Lord is going to demolish the kingdoms and nations of this world to break, you understand, the power that religions and customs have in the heathen world? Well, my my mother and my grandmother, they worshipped Buddha, and they worshipped Allah, and they worshipped the gods of Hinduism, and I have to do that too, because if I don't, they're not going to love me anymore. They They will hate me. They will guilt me, because I have to keep praying for my dead ancestors or their suffering in the underworld. Those are powerful ties in the heathen world. Lies that hold them in bondage to paganism. God has to shake the nations. He has to break loose all those powerful influences. But why does He do that? So that the desire of all nations will come in. He will come into their hearts, into their lives. And he will change their hearts so that whereas before they hated him, now they love him, now they desire him, now they yearn for him. Now they see my greatest treasure is Christ. My greatest pleasure is Christ. The greatest longing and yearning of my soul is for Christ and for none other and nothing else. He is the one in whom my soul delights. The desire of all nations is Christ. Is he your desire? Is he the one you desire above all treasures and pleasures that the world may afford? Beloved, we are among those Who, by the grace of God, have come to Christ. We have not come to the mount that could be touched, the physical Mount Sinai, where God shook the earth when he spoke his law. We're not among the Israelites who were there at Mount Sinai. We are among Jews and Gentiles who have come to Mount Zion. In Hebrews chapter 12, the apostle speaks of this fact. He says that we have not come to the Mount Sinai, where God spoke his law and shook the earth, but we have come to Mount Zion, Hebrews 12, verse 22. Mount Zion, which is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. You see, there's the voice that God spoke at Mount Sinai and shook the earth with his law. But in Haggai, God says, Yet once more, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land when I speak the gospel. We are not those who have come to Mount Sinai only and heard the law. We are those who have come to Mount Zion and heard the gospel. That's who we are. The gospel that Jesus is the desire of nations. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the one for whom God has turned the world upside down. Jesus is the Son of God who has come down from the shaken heavens into the shaken earth and walked on the shaken sea and stilled the shaken skies and lived in the midst of the shaken nations. Jesus who performed signs and wonders in heaven and earth and sea foreshadowing the great day when God would remove heaven, earth, and sea, to make way for the new and glorious everlasting kingdom. And when he had finished his work, he went to the cross and shed his precious blood. And what happened at the cross? The earth shook. And what happened when he rose from the dead? The earth shook again. And he ascended up into heaven. Through Jesus Christ, God has shaken the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the dry land. And brought the Christ, the desire of all nations, born in Bethlehem, ascended into glory. You are those who have heard that gospel. And the apostle says in Hebrews 12, this warning to us. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not, who refused him that spake on the earth, he's referring to the Israelites, they heard the voice of God at Mount Sinai, but they refused it. They didn't listen. They disobeyed. They didn't escape. They went into Babylon, into captivity. If they did not escape, They only heard the voice of the law. Much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And then he quotes Haggai, whose voice then shook the earth, Mount Sinai, but now he hath promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven, Mount Zion. And this word, the apostle says, yet once more, that word, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. See, God is shaking everything to remove the old, to make way for the new. He shakes the kingdoms of the world to bring his kingdom that can never be moved. And he concludes Wherefore, we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let us not turn away from the gospel of Christ, beloved. Let us never turn away from the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens in your life, Whatever happens in your family, in your congregation, in your denomination, in the world, don't turn away from Christ. Finally, Jehovah has promised through Haggai for the encouragement of the temple builders. Back to our text, verse 7 And I will fill this house with glory. Seth the Lord of hosts. I'm going to shake everything. The desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this temple with glory. What a tremendous encouragement that must have been. You see, as they were putting brick upon brick and building up these walls of the temple, they remembered the Temple of Solomon built in better days when the kingdom was strong and growing and there was peace and riches and rest. And it was this magnificent temple with gold, lots of gold, shining gloriously. But that wasn't all. On the day of its dedication, when Solomon prayed to the Lord, the glory of the Lord in the form of a pillar of cloudy glory, came into the temple and filled the most holy place. That's called the Shekinah, the glory cloud. And now they're building up this new temple, and maybe they're wondering, is the Lord going to come to this temple? It's little. It's nothing in comparison to Solomon's temple. But Haggai says, the Lord says through Haggai, I will fill this temple with glory knowing that they were able to press on in the work of building. And they did press on from the second year of Darius until the sixth year of Darius. That's when they finished the temple. They finished it. And when they finished the temple, according to Ezra 6, there was a dedication of the temple, just like with the first temple. And that was a time of celebration, feasting, singing, worship, bringing of offerings. Truly, the Lord was present in their midst in a glorious way, but we do not read of the glory cloud filling that second temple on the day of its dedication. Has God failed to fulfill his promise? After that, hundreds of years passed and the people of God were plunged into this period of darkness and silence No more prophets. No more books of the Bible written. And then Herod the Great became the ruler of Judea. And he decided that he would please the Jews by building up, repairing, and enhancing that second temple, which he did. So that the temple that was there in the days of Jesus was the temple they built in the time of Haggai, but bigger, better, glorious. Was that the fulfillment of this prophecy? Is that when God filled it with glory? No. God fulfilled this prophecy in a spiritual manner when the desire of all nations came into the world, that's when he filled the temple with glory. See, that glory cloud of the Old Testament was a picture of the presence of God with his people in a glorious way. What could be more glorious than if God himself, Jehovah of hosts, Would come down into the world and become a man and walk among men and go into that temple. And he did. The first time that Jesus was brought into the temple was in the arms of his mother Mary with Joseph walking next to her. Born in Bethlehem, eight days later he had to be circumcised and they brought him up into the temple. And that was the first time Jehovah God in our flesh was brought into the temple and it was filled with glory. Old Simeon was there. Remember Old Simeon in Luke chapter 2. We read that Simeon was told by the Lord that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. And the Spirit led him into the temple that day. Luke 2 verse 27 And he saw Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus, and he took him up into his arms, and he said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Many more times after that, Jesus filled the temple with his glorious presence, teaching, preaching, healing, until at last God shook the earth at the cross and at the tomb and raised him up from the dead. Him having reconciled all things to God through the precious blood that he shed on the cross and ascended up into glory. And now God continues to fulfill the prophecy as the Lord Jesus Christ, through his church, builds up his church. Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And that's what he has been doing since he went into heaven, building his church. And the church is the spiritual temple of the Lord. We are the living stones of that temple. And Jesus is putting each one of us into that temple, into our place, building it, building it, building it through the preaching of the gospel. And he's filling it with his glory glory of the grace and mercy of God in salvation. And now finally, the prophecy of the text has a word of hope for us regarding our future. As we build this temple, as we support and pray for the preaching of the gospel, as we evangelize, catechize, establish Christian schools, raise our children in the faith, build marriages on the gospel of Christ. The Lord says to us, yet once it is a little while, and once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. There will be one more great cataclysm that will involve the complete destruction of the universe. Great earthquakes will destroy the rocks and the mountains. The seas will rage. Stars will fall from heaven on that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then the desire of all nations shall come again. And I will fill the temple with glory. The temple points us ultimately to the new creation, the new heavens and earth. It is there in the eternal world to come. That will be God's temple, the real temple, to which all the other temples pointed. The real temple will be that glorious place where God will dwell with us in the face of Christ, with all the nations of his people, where we will worship him and the lamb forever and ever. Where there will be perfect peace and rest and joy. The lamb and the lion laying down together. So labor, people of God. Labor in that hope. Let us not be afraid of the hostile forces around us. Let us not be afraid that it takes so long, it seems, to finish this building project and for the desire of nations to come. Let us not be afraid, but let us trust in the Lord. It's not a day of small things. It's a day of great things. Let us press on in the glorious work of forming and reforming, building and rebuilding to the glory of our God until he returns once and for all, amen. Our Father and our God, O Lord of hosts, how lovely is thy word and how great are thy promises. We thank thee that we may trust thy promises that they are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus and are certain to come to pass. Lord, lift up our eyes on high and fill us with hope for the glorious day of thy coming. In Jesus' name.